0: Hey there, welcome back to another episode of MVP Business, where we showcase leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion to drive growth, profits, and revenue. Today's guest is Lisa Earl McLeod. Lisa is a best-selling author of two books: Selling with Noble Purpose and Leading with Noble Purpose. These are the first books that I read when I started Vine Collective and I highly recommend them to everyone in leadership and sales and in business in general. Lisa's a sales leadership expert and a powerful speaker who has delivered programs in over 25 countries and around the world. Her programs are consistently the highest rated programs of major conferences. She's delivered keynotes to audiences as large as 10,000. And I'm so honored to be here and to share her wisdom with all of you today. Thank you so much for being here, Lisa.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to chat with you today.
0: So we're, um, uh, we're recording from our home studios <laughs> uh, because of the COVID-19 craziness. So there might be a little bit of um, spottiness in the internet because everyone in the world is on the internet right now, including your daughter who's teaching and my kids who are learning. <laughs> So we'll talk a little bit about your business, your, your passions, um, the content in your books, and also maybe how things are changing right now in the world for your business and all businesses. Great. Let's start off though with you telling us a little bit about yourself before you got started on this passion driven path. Well, you
1: know, it, it is interesting because I've been reflecting on that a lot, as you said, we're recording this in the midst of COVID, and we suspect it's probably gonna get worse. And so when you're in a moment of of change and crisis, you really think about who am I and, and where have I been and how did I get here? Plus you have a little more time on your hands. So for me, um, I can give you sort of the front story of my background that's the official bio uh, my background is um, long-time sales, sales leadership, but what really drove me to this work was I look back quite candidly on my own childhood, which had, you know, a large share of dysfunction, and I realized that one of the things that always drove me was to figure out why people did the things they did mm-hmm. and figure out what was going on inside people's heads. So I have A lot of experience um, leading sales teams, coaching sales teams, uh, working with big leadership teams. But I realized what took me to that work of coaching and figuring things out was really a childhood-based in just a, a supreme curiosity about why people did the things they did. I had this great history teacher when I was in high school, and one of the things that he did was he acted out American history in front of the class. Yeah. And and upon reflection, what I realized that he did so well, that was so interesting to me, I was not a good student. It's one of the few classes I did well in. One of the things that he did that was so interesting was he was saying, now, imagine you're Andrew Jackson, and this is happening to you. What are you thinking? What are you doing? And I was like, no one ever talks about that. They always talk about what happened. Dates and names dates and names. And I thought, no one ever talks about what would it be like to be in his head? And I I see now that one, a couple of sparks like that, but two, that that was my genuine interest because I had a somewhat tumultuous childhood for a couple of reasons. Um, That led me to this. And so most of my work is with large sales driven organizations and with leaders who need to drive revenue but it's addressing that underlying piece of why do your people do what they do? What are they thinking about? Why do your customers do what they do? And that's how I landed on this concept of noble purpose.
0: That's fantastic. Um, so tell us, you were in sales training, like I said, for a number of years, and there was a turning point for you. Um, I love, there's a couple of them, one in your book and another one that you talk about quite a bit. I love those stories so much and I tell them all the time actually. Um, can you share with us what those turning points are or one one of them if you want to focus?
1: So there was a big one for me in the, I had worked as a sales consultant for years and a client, a big biotech company reached out to me. And they wanted us to study their sales team. And it is ironic that I'm telling the story right now because you'll see where, the, where we are right now. This could not be more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted us to study their sales team and to identify what differentiated the top sales performers. Because one of the things about sales is, um, numbers. so you know who the top performers are and especially over the years when it's consistently the same people. You know, it's not usually their territory or anything like that because they're consistent top performers. And so one of the things that companies and everyone in any field is always challenged with is what is the secret sauce? Mm -hmm. What is the secret sauce of the top people? And so that's what they wanted us to study. And in sales, there's some really definable skills that, Differentiate good performance. You know, product knowledge, the ability to speak, um, resilience, persistence, organization. They knew all those. We all know all those. But what they wanted was not just what's good performance, but what's the secret sauce of the top performers. So we went out into the field and studied these folks. And the interesting thing was, I had no idea that this was going to be like a major point in my entire life when I was doing it. Yeah. but. We went out in the field, and we studied these sales folks, and it was a blind study. And that's what made it so interesting. And they, we didn't know who the top performers were. All we knew was everyone we were with was either a good performer or a top performer. And so we're out seeing them, trying to figure out, you know, how many questions did they ask? What did they do? What was their background? And it's all in search of, like, what's the secret sauce? And so one of the things that I had forgotten about until just recently, I did not put this in the book, is this was a trip for me. I had to make lots of trips and it was at a time when I wasn't too thrilled with being away from my kids. And I had totally forgotten about this. And my husband reminded me of it. I said, you know, I want this to matter if I oh. go away and be away from my kids I, you know, I want something, I want to, I want to learn something, or I want this to really matter, and so I'm out on this one particular uh, ride-along, we were near the end of the study, and I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and I was sitting in my, uh, in the car with the sales representative, we just spent two days, you can imagine how exciting it is to have a consultant follow you around for two days, record every word you said, super fun, and for all parties Mm involved, and it was, really, really hot. You know, in Phoenix, I live in Georgia and Phoenix, they say, oh, it's a dry heat. Like it's somehow not 110, but it's like that heat gets in your throat. So I'm <laughs> sitting in this air conditioned car and I'm just thinking, okay, I need to get out, hoof my bag, hoof up to the terminal. You know, it's not the longest walk in the world, but it's hot. And I don't really want to get out of the car. She's She said, oh, it's been so good to be with you. And I, and I asked her this question. I was not on our list. I said, what do you think about when you go on sales call? And she said, well, you know, I don't tell this very many people, but I always think about this one particular patient. And she goes on and she starts describing it. And she says, I was early in my career with this company. I was standing in a doctor's office and this little lady came up to me and said, excuse me, miss, are you the representative for this drug? So I looked down at her and said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said, the little lady looked up at me and said, well, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving me my life back because prior to taking this, I couldn't go anywhere, do anything now, that my doctor has prescribed this drug that your company represents, that you represent, I can get on a plane, I can fly out to the country, I can visit my grandkids, I can get down on the floor and play with them, Wow! so thank you for giving me my life back, I mean, it was amazing, she's telling me this, and so as I'm listening, she goes on, she said, I think about her every day, that's my purpose, that's why I do my job, and it was 10 years ago, people weren't, talking you know people in the in the commercial world weren't talking about their work that way so i thought at the time i thought this is something different mm-hmm. this is something unique i and so i went back to the to the anecdotal comments of the inter, other interviews looking for this thing that i now call noble purpose and i found i found it in several people i found five people in total And at the end of the company, and they all just alluded to it in like their ancillary remarks. Oh, my father was a doctor. I want to help the doctor. But it was there. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit abstract, but it was there. And so at the end of the study, the biotech company said, who do you think the top people are? And I said, I think it's these five. And I was right. And it was, it was a turning point for me.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that story and how it um, just really, amplifies the meaning that people need in their work to thrive and it's it's the difference between doing the work and thriving in the work um, it, yeah. it absolutely and, and, and that just changed your whole world from that point forward so at what point did you you know, start writing the book or ch- completely change your your path and I know like you said that was when people weren't really talking about it now you know per, you know conscious capitalism is a thing and and it's you know it's much more um, top of mind in business even though it's not executed fully people are starting to understand the value and importance of it
1: well it took a while and so um, as you said this it was starting to be talked about but the word purpose wasn't front and center and so when I told the biotech company, um, I think it's these five, that's where things actually started to go kind of sideways. Um, so imagine you've got this team of people that lead a biotech company. If you've never worked with one before, there's two kinds of people in the senior leadership team, for the most part, scientists and finance people. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting over this table, these are the top five. And so now they think, that I'm like some kind of like, like, I don't know, kind of witch, you know, like, yeah. how or maybe did you the know? Data.
0: There's something in the data that told you that. There's
1: something in the data and that's, that's what they want to know is what's in the data mm-hmm. and which is what they hired us for. So the part where it goes sideways now is they go, how did you know? And I'm like, so proud of myself, you know? And then I say, well, um, these people, my first attempt did, did not go well. I said, they have a different story in their heart. Uh-huh and so the finance people the scientists go okay well that's interesting she got them right but so let's give her you know a little rope and so it was one of those meetings where I'm talking and if you've ever had one where you just watch your words going out on the table and not landing on the people at all. They're just like sliding off the table. And so I was like, well, there was this thing about the grandmother and um, she had this story and she talked about her and this other guy, his dad was a doctor. And they just, they just felt different. They felt different. Okay. So it did not go well. But I knew at the time that I was onto something and I couldn't quite land it then. I knew that I was seeing something. I knew that it was one emotive, but I also knew that it was real. And when I said in that moment, they have a different story in their heart, it turned out that that was actually right. But what I didn't know how to do at the time was name the story or scale the story. And so that became my obsession. Okay. Um, I'm an ADD personality, and so for me, this is like a math problem, but with emotions. And I thought, I know that this is right. And I reflected on my own life when I used to sell advertising for my college newspaper, which I loved. When I was sold a training program, which I believed in with my heart, and I thought, that's it. I can track my own performance based on my belief in what I was doing, and there were times in my life where it wasn't that I that I, you know, didn't believe in what I was doing or thought it was negative, but what I could see was when I really believed and I thought it was life changing. And then I decided to study this. And it turns out that the data really held up. Mm-hmm. This thing that I call noble purpose, which starts as an internal talk track, which is the people who believe that what they're doing is making a difference to their customers on on a sales front, salespeople who have that core belief actually outsell salespeople focus on targets and quotas. And it's been a decade and what I've learned since and what I've done since is that belief, and there have been some other studies, a woman named um, Dr. Valerie Good at the University of Michigan studied this. Um, Adam Grant did a study with call center people And the reason that this is so important is what we've learned is top performers go to this innately, but it's not limited to top performers. And what we've done since is found a way to take that story about how a company makes a difference and scale it and get it in everyone's head and get it to be the centerpiece of the business and get it to be the thing that you align your infrastructure around. And when you do that, the data tells us that companies with a purpose bigger than money outperform the market by over three hundred and fifty percent.
0: So, what? How is it that you are able to get that story from one one individual, or find that story, and then bring it through? Um, in and and my. Um, My big passion is not, it's possibly the, you know, the CEO or the person who founded the company or the salesperson may, may know that story. Um, But how do you get it out of them and into the rest of the organization? Yeah.
1: And so what we've spent the last uh, 10 kind of messy years doing is getting that down to a process and it is a process. First, you have to find the story. And this is where some people get tripped up um, because they think, well, we don't sell life-changing drugs. We don't have a story. And I'm here to tell you, we just um, redid our website and we, we made a point because we said we want to find stories that people can, can relate to that are not the big sexy companies, that are not the life-saving drugs. And so we have done this in a concrete company We've done this in a travel company and we've done this in a bank. And so the reason I say that is if you're listening to this, if customers are buying from you, Mm -hmm. you are making a difference in their lives. And so what you want to do and the way we do it is we do what we call a purpose audit of a company and we find the story and it's how you make a difference, how you do it differently than your competition and what your best employees love about their jobs. Mm -hmm. So we find that story. And then that's the first thing. Is find and land on the story. The second thing is turn it into a statement. And if you look at a lot of companies have statements like, um, we want to be the number one supplier of end-to-end solutions. That's not a purpose. That's a goal. Um, and so we turn it into a statement. Remember this one bank that we worked with. It was, their statement was, um, let me get it right. Um, we fuel prosperity. Mm-hmm. and they're a bank and so it's about and so what happens is you get a statement and that's the start and then we create the story with the salespeople and we say if your job when you sit in front of that customer is to fuel prosperity what what noble purpose selling does it accomplishes what consultative selling often struggled to accomplish consultative selling is all about focus on them make them successful but the overarching story in the seller's head is close it, close it, close it. So what we do is we change the story and we say, you're here to help them fuel prosperity. And guess what? The data tells every time you close more business and it's an ordering thing. Yeah. And so what we've done is, and it varies by every company is we figure out what the purpose is and some companies already have it, which is great. So we start there. What's their purpose? Um, We just work with a big company in Australia. They're in the home construction business, and I love theirs. I'm so excited about it. It's We Build Joy.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Oh, I love it. I'm so excited. And so then you put that out to the rest of the team. Then what you do is you look at your infrastructure through that lens. You look at all your processes, Mm -hmm. and usually we'll pick five or six things. Does this build joy? And it's just a totally different lens. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it gets that lens that so many companies are trying to get, which is um, that customer-oriented lens. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you're a purpose-driven company, um, when I just wrote about this in this new book we have coming out, it's the difference between pleasing the customer and actually improving the customer. Mm -hmm. And to say we're customer-centric is certainly better than being customer-centric. But that puts so many people in a reactive fashion but if right. you decide we are here to build joy we are here to fuel prosperity whatever it is, then you're saying what impact are we having on customers and it mm-hmm. takes your game to the next level and yeah, so and yeah.
0: I really love the idea of looking at the entire organization and organizational structure to say <clears throat> how does this measure back to that <clears throat> that one goal that we have um, mm-hmm. And I like to say that it's not just the customer that you are, you know, bringing joy to or fueling prosperity for. It's the community. It's your vendors. It's your internal employees. It's the entire structure of the organization. And when you look at all of your communications through that one single, um, you know, lens, then it, it can change the way your entire company is structured, how you communicate, what types of emails you send out, the verbiage that you have within it. Um, and that's what keeps, I think, everybody aligned. Have, is that part of your?
1: Yeah, purpose? and I'll tell you where our focus is um, that I have learned, and this is gonna sound very odd coming from the purpose person that talks about noble purpose. Um, our focus is very singular on customers. And I'll tell you why. When we first started doing this work, a number of people would say, oh, we want to do all these community programs. Like, we feel prosperity with this bank, Atlantic Capital Bank. And if people are watching the video, um, I'll show you this. I happen to have this on my desk. This is the president of that bank, this gentleman right here. He was on the cover of American Banker. because nice. He turned around the entire bank. Oh my they God. went from having um, an engagement problem to being voted a best place to work they increase their um, earnings by 61% their wow. tax, I mean, huge. And here's the reason why in our practice, we do not focus on the community Okay. Uh, to start. Because what happens is when people say, we wanna be good citizens to the community, it becomes this thing that sits on the side. And where our expertise is, and that happened to us a lot in the beginning, they said, oh, we're going to embrace our noble purpose. And then they turn it into community events, which is great, but it minimizes its power.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: what we now do with our clients is we say, our focus for the next 12 months is activating your noble purpose in the center of your commercial model with your customers. And a mm-hmm. couple of things happen as a result of that. One, it gets embedded and it becomes the, the way you do business. But the other thing it does for employees, a lot of stuff has been written about employee engagement. And we know there's lots of things that need to happen. Flex time, this, this COVID crisis is pointing out all the sick time. All these things need to happen. And a lot of people are out there doing that. What we've found in our work, where our expertise sits is when your employees understand that their work is meaningful Mm -hmm. it's a game changer Mm -hmm. and it is better than all the foosball tables in the world oh yeah yeah and don't get me wrong you need to do those other things but they are table stakes but meaningful work and it doesn't have to be we've got this concrete company that said we're going to redefine the contracting industry and so they have blue-collar hourly people that work in people's basements. It's a company called Support Works out of Omaha, Nebraska. So I love them to death, and I only say this because they know how much I love them. It is concrete. It is in Omaha. It's not the definition of sexy. But they <laughs> have become a best place to work because what they decided was the contracting industry has a sketchy reputation, and mm. we're not okay with that we're going to redefine the entire thing. And when you deal with us, we're going to set a new standard and they have. And so the thing, the thing about it is, is you need that laser focus. When people have this, this diffuse focus and we're going to do this and this and this, it doesn't give your employees something exciting to show up for.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. So when you have that laser focus uh, and you, you create the um, it becomes so such a part of their soul and then it bleeds out to those other places intuitively without having to focus on it
1: and naturally and so we say get this right with mm-hmm. your customers for the first year and get it to where it becomes the centerpiece of your business mm-hmm. then we do the other things so and we never yeah. stop people from doing charitable things i want right. to make sure i'm messaging it really this right. <laughs> I mean keep doing what you're doing add to it but a language of no purpose and what you said is really important because what we found is we do an audit of folks. And there's one of these in the leading with noble purpose books where we look at the leadership language mm-hmm. and we, um, there's one in the book that there's a Wordle and it's a company called BlackBot, which is an amazing company. And their CEO, Mike Giannone has been named like a top SaaS CEO, a top innovator, CEO, and when we first started with them, I spoke at their annual sales conference and it happened to be his first day as a new CEO. And it was totally aligned with his way of thinking. And one of the things that we did was we looked at what were they saying in town halls. And we took the transcript from the town halls and fed them into a Wordle and then did them sort of post. And what we noticed and think about yourself, you're in a town hall, your CEO's talking, and what Mike did that was so genius is CEOs report on the numbers and he still reports on the numbers, but he cut that time way down, that deep dive on the numbers. Mm-hmm. And instead he started telling stories about how Black BlackBaud had made a difference. And right. what you saw was the leadership airtime devoted to financial reporting was way cut down. It was still there because it's mm-hmm. crucial, mm-hmm. but the leadership airtime around how BlackBaud makes a difference went way up. And so what that does is that builds a belief in your team. Mm -hmm. And it tells them, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we act. And it, it was transformation.
0: Don't go anywhere. I'm just taking a short break to thank one of our sponsors, 5D Show Services. 5D is a full service trade show, display, graphics, and services company with over 30 years of experience. They partner with companies of all sizes to help plan and execute the best trade shows and events on time and on budget. I've worked with Danny at 5D for over 15 years and continue to be impressed with the level of service and quality he and his team provide. For more information on their capabilities, visit 5DShowServices.com. That's the number 5DShowServices.com. Reading um, "Selling with Noble Purpose" and um, and looking at the just the simple concept. It seems simple, but it's not of changing the way a uh, a sales manager communicates their weekly goals or their their weekly conversations with their sales team. Instead of saying, you know, what are you going to? How many calls are you going to make? What are your you know uh, what's your quota? What did you do last week? And how are you going to do it better? Um, those questions might be in there, but it starts with who are you talking to? How are you gonna make a difference for them? What how what what impact are we gonna have in their life or business? And then it gets the salesperson thinking about the conversation they're gonna have with their right. customer uh, to where it's not I have to sell, just like you were saying earlier, it's not close, 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 it's how are we gonna make a difference? And then the questions you ask that customer are different
1: are totally different. And I'll tell you where that came about, was I had a long time history, um, training and coaching salespeople, and worked for a company that did that. And one of the things that I saw was, most companies want their salespeople to be consultative, want mm-hmm. their salespeople to focus on the customer. Um, they, want, they even want their salespeople to challenge the customer in the service of helping the customer. And they want their salespeople to be, you know, trusted advisors. And so you do all this training to help them do that, but then it doesn't stick. Mm -hmm. And for me, again, it was this emotional chess game where I thought, why doesn't it stick? And it's because the daily language sales manager is, when are you going to close it? How much is it going to be? When can we collect the revenue? And all of the really important things, Mm -hmm. but they don't. Fuel belief seller and they don't promote the right behavior. So, when we do big widespread sales implementations, we do a coaching process. We take what they're already doing with their pipeline reports, which are the questions I just said being close is going to be, and we add to it. And the questions we ask are, How is this customer going to be different as a result of doing business with us? That's what you want in your seller's head. Mm-hmm. And so, you think about two salespeople calling on a customer, and five minutes before the call, the sales manager said, what are you gonna close it and how much is it gonna be? And the other, the other one said, how is the customer gonna be different as a result of doing business with us? That second salesperson is the one I want it on me. They're gonna be more engaged, they're gonna, to... and so it's what we call a tip of the spear question and we train sales manager how to do that. And the, it has been, dramatic. I mean, we had one company that had 25% year over year sales growth for like 20 some odd years within implementing this in one year, it went to 35% and wow. that 35% sales growth Or the leader in their space or an adventure travel company that 35% sales growth stuck for several years. So it wasn't just a one time thing. And it, and it's, for some people, it is a dramatic shift. For others, it is simply an amplification of what was already in their heart.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, and it, it, you you mentioned this in a lot of your um, speeches that, just that simple mindset going into it changes your physiology and the physiology of the person that you're talking to so a lot of sales training will talk about get your customer to say yes you know ask them questions that they're gonna say yes to which is manipulative but if you look at it from the opposite side from the way that you're looking at it and say how are we gonna be improve your 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 life your business your world then then they're in they're in that positive mindset without you having to manipulate it into them
1: that's right and so what it what it does is most salespeople go into a sales call with the intent to close
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and that's sitting in the center of the two people and this changes the intent which ironically enables you to close and so mm-hmm. we see people bigger, close like stickier deals. And so one, one of the things um, I think that's really important here as we're talking about the COVID crisis is intent has become really clear right now. And, and ironically enough, as people are communicating more in writing and over the phone and over video, like we are, intent is actually more easy to read and so i think we're seeing the need for people to have this noble purpose like like in the last two weeks like everything changed and these transactional people and these transactional leaders nobody has time for them anymore
0: Mm -hmm. i heard a coach talking recently a business coach who coaches business coaches and he said this is a really interesting time um for coaches, because people, everybody in the world is in this introspective um, space.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even if they're really busy with multiple kids at home, they're they're going to come out of this, and whenever we come out of it, <laughs> um, with existential questions, and possibly existential yes. answers, and so um my thought is that this is this is really the time where we see if a leader is truly a leader or if they have just found themselves in that place (laughs) and and it's really showing up um in in all the businesses and you know some of them are are going to, to slide and you know go under just because of the um nature of business in this time mm-hmm. but a lot of them are being innovative and uh, and figuring out how to impact their clients customers and employees lives in an even greater way and it's absolutely beautiful to watch
1: it's amazing and so i think it goes one of the things i've gotten um i, I want to address a couple of things that you've said there that are so important one is this interest and i think um one of the reasons why I have been led to this kind of work is I always have for sales and capitalism. I can tell you that. But um when I was in my late 20s, my mother passed away very suddenly of breast cancer, and she was younger than I am right now. And it did cause a level of introspection for me where mm-hmm. I said, you know, who am I and why am I here? And I contemplated, do I need to, you know, become a school teacher? Do I need to go feed the poor? Do I need, like, like what do I need to do? Because I really, you know, want my life to count for something. And after a good bit of introspection, I did come back to, think, I think I'm gonna stay in business, but like a lot of other people who were reaching these same conclusions, you know, this is 25 years ago, I thought, I'm going to make it a force for good. Because business is where we live our lives. You know, Mm -hmm. Some people live their lives in academia, but business is where the majority of people live their lives. And the way they experience their work is having a ripple effect on all the other people they work with, on their family. And so I, I ended up staying there. And I think when I look at the moment now, when you're experiencing some level of introspection, usually if you go through a tough time you and your family might go through it but come back to work after you lost a family member or something like that um it's sort of everyone else's business as usual the difference now is we're all experiencing it together and so one of the things we're also all very raw emotionally so we're acutely aware of others you know emotions and so one of the things that um a lot of us are realizing it, the way that you act now is going to define your company and your brand for the next decade. Right. And I think what's happening is, I think con- candidly, I think there are a lot of very well-intended leaders out there who are trying to save their business, and they're coming across very transactionally.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: not what's That's not what's in their heart. They're trying to save their business for a very good reason. Mm -hmm. But when you say the people who are transforming, the question is not, how can I save the business? Mm -hmm. You need to put that question on pause. And you can come back to it. As I always say, you know, you can pick that back up when you walk out the door. The question will help you the most is, how can we best serve our customers right now? And that's going to make you innovative. That's going to do all kinds of things. And then after you figure that out to some degree, then you can say, do we charge? Do we not? How do we do a financial model around this? But if your starting point is how do we save the business, you're going to be out innovated. You're going to come across like a transactional leader. I just read today that the CEO of uh, Texas Roadhouse said he was going to give his full salary to pay for his employees. And I just think if you want to know a shortcut to employee engagement, that guy's got it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean every CEO has to donate their salaries, but um, it's the mindset, transparency, it's the mindset. Like, how can I help my people? How can I help my customers? And you want to talk about employees that are going to be loyal to that guy. And I don't mean it in any way that it was calculated from everything I've read, that's who he already was. But I think I was on a call with a group of franchise leaders the other day and they're in the healthcare space, it's a chain of um, chiropractors, I'll just go ahead and say who they are. They're the joint and they're a great company and their mission is to improve people's quality of life. And so we doubled down and said, how can we improve the people's quality of life right now with where we are? And all the ideas start to go your team gets level set, their hearts are grounded. It's a game change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When you approach everything that way first, and like you said, you can't, you can't leave the P&L and all the, um, the financials, you can't leave it out of the conversation. It just can't come first.
1: That's right. It's an ordering thing. And the best thing to do is to focus on that singular lens of how can we improve our customers' lives and don't worry about the money. Again, you're not doing anything yet. Just put the money Mm -hmm. right here and then pick it up later. It's, um, I was thinking about, um, there's a Native American tradition that a lot of people have friends that they used to um, make decisions with an eye to how they would affect the seventh generation. Oh, wow. Yeah, and one of the things so I loved about that, that. Decision, that's right. Yeah, there's a company called Seven Generation that yeah. based on this. But um, one of the things that I loved about that was in the folklore is, I wasn't there, but that they're, they have the tribal, the elder tribal women, the grandmothers, watching the proceedings. And that's the only ones that they have. And so they, they don't have to consider multiple things. The only lens they have is how will this affect the seventh generation? And I thought that it was genius because, you know, a grandmothers, that's what they're gonna care about most, you know? And, but I thought it, it is similar to like, say what you will about Jeff Bezos, but one of the things he, the legendary things that he did early in Amazon days was get an empty chair in the room that represented the customer. Mm-hmm. And I, both of those stories illustrate the power of taking the other things away and mm-hmm. looking at it through one lens. Mm-hmm. And so like what I'm seeing in our clients, um, actually having um, a, an odd experience where I'm getting emails from clients who did their purpose work, you know, a year ago, and oh my God, I am so glad we did this mm-hmm. because now we know fuel prosperity. That's our lens. Now we know, redefine the industry. That's our lens. Now we know, you know, um, we're going to build joy. Like once they have that, that becomes the decision making lens and everything goes from there and they know how to respond.
0: Right. Yeah. When things come down, you know, when you have to act fast, when you have to change and pivot, when you have to reorganize your entire business model, because the world is at home, you know, the lens Uh to look through.
1: That's right. And if you're looking through solely a financial lens, you will not innovate. You know, Brene Brown says there's no innovation without vulnerability and risk. Mm -hmm. And she's right. There's also no innovation. If you're looking inside yourself, if you're only looking at your metrics.
0: Yeah. Or if, um, if you have fear at the forefront, which is what happens in a time where you know stock market is crashing and everything is um, Mm -hmm. unfolding it seems um, you know then this fear goes up and if you keep it there and that's the first lens Mm -hmm. that you're looking through then there will be no innovation there will be no growth there will be no I have another shout out. This one is to Wimberly Films. This is a husband and wife team that loves the art of filmmaking. With over 20 years of experience capturing the magic of life and business, they transform moments and memories into tangible treasures. I've seen these folks in action, and it's amazing. Their work is breathtaking. To see some of their work, look them up on Facebook or visit their website, wimberlyfilms.com. That's wimberlyfilms.com.
1: I do want to clarify when I say look inside yourself, you have it inside yourself to, mm. to step into something bigger. When I say looking internally, it's when a company sits around the table and says, how can we protect our finances? How can we protect our finances? If that's the first question, there will be no innovation. What's interesting is one of the things when I was writing Leading with Noble Purpose, I interviewed a number of people that were in the military. And I I have a military, my dad was in the military, my brother's in the military, my grandfather's in the military. And one of the things that always fascinated me in the military was, again, back to this, why do people do what they do, was people's, not just willingness, but their impetus, their ethos to put themselves in the service of a cause bigger than themselves Mm -hmm. at great self-sacrifice. Certainly in wartime, but even in peacetime. I mean, talk to anybody who's raised as a military kid, you know, and their mom or dad move around, and it was, and and it wasn't like, oh, I'm getting a big promotion and we're going to Cincinnati where we can make all kinds of money. It's never that. Yeah. <laughs> it's always pack up and move them out. We're not even going to have more money. I mean, he yeah. that. And, and so I really wanted to know, you know, what what is this thing? And the same theme kept coming back around a cause bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. And while the military and healthcare workers are sort of the the top of that, I think about, you know, our bank client and we need our banking system. People need to feel like their bank is secure. Mm-hmm. And it might not be, you know, saving people's lives like the military or healthcare workers, but it's still a thing. And that's <laughs> going to get your people. Yeah, it's essential and and, and even if like we have a plumbing company, you know, do you want to go through this without toilets? I don't, <laughs> not really, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so really thinking about getting your people into a cause bigger than themselves is not just strengthening your business, it's building confidence and resilience in your people.
0: Yes, so um, I'm, I'm actually reading um, Source by Joseph Jaworski right now. And um, he just mentioned about uh, the concept of why would a person give up their life for someone else? And part of it is the concept of oneness that, like we, you know, we are connected somehow. And when you, when you, when you're constantly looking at financials and uh, and goals from a data standpoint, there is no oneness. It's all very disconnected and. Um, and and very linear but when there's a greater cause and a purpose that you're all working toward then there is a oneness and there is a um a collective thought of of goals and people tend to it's kind of like when a disaster happens unlike or you know like in the hospital like in a surgery room the the surgeon very uh, doesn't have to say give me this do this do this like every single time there is a collective thought that we're all in this together. We know what we're doing. We're trained for this moment. And like, you know, they put their hand up and, and the right thing comes into their <laughs> hand and, and they, they are all so attuned to the goal that, that it becomes just this innate process, you know, race car drivers, uh, sports, really good athletes. They all have this um, ability to tune in Uh and and kind of work toward this huge greater purpose and when it's clear it's so much easier
1: and and that's leadership's job Mm -hmm. is to make it clear and that's what we find is it can't just be about we're a customer driven company that's great that that's better than saying you know we're not but when you have clarity about how you make a difference to your customers that's that's clear. We always say you need to be clear about uh, your aim and your lane. (laughs) Oh yeah. Your aim is what impact are you trying to have and your lane is the way that your team does it. And, you know, you talk about this oneness. One of the things that this crisis is making clear is what a lot in the spiritual community already believed, which is, um, I'll use um, a Bible, I think it's a Bible phrase, I'm not put in the Bible, I am my brother's keeper. Because one of the things that we're realizing is, you know, the recession showed us that we were all connected economically. And that, that when other people are out of work, if enough that happens to enough people, it becomes your problem, even if you're not out of work. Now what this is showing us is that we're all connected physically. And so other people's illness becomes your problem. And and it is that sense of oneness that things that we have long scrabbled scrambled for, our own health, our own finances, that is not enough. Mm-hmm. If half the country is sick, it's not gonna matter how healthy you are. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that thing's coming right in your subdivision, right past that guard shack. Whether you like your gardener's health care is now your problem, and, mm-hmm. and 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 the fact that you know like that Texas Roadhouse CEO and there have been many others as well that are really stepping up. I'm so excited to see that, but those start to affect lots and lots of other things. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happening is what happens in any. Crisis. If you look, I'm a a student of history, and if you look at wars and things that tear areas apart so quickly, these what I call noble purpose leaders surface, Mm -hmm. and they're not always who you think. Mm -hmm. And and it's and it's the people who say, "What's the issue, and how can I help?" And so I think we are having. There's a lot of things that are going to change as a result of this, and what we all know is changing is that. Everybody who didn't think they could work from home now proved they could. And everybody who all these meetings that were really boring that you didn't want to sit through anymore, you just proved you could do them in an email. Um, and all this, this pretense of trying to be all professional. Everyone knows you have your kids at home. Like that's changing on a really concrete level. But beneath the surface, what's changing is something even bigger.
0: Yeah, you know, I find um, it really heartwarming. The grace that everyone's giving each other you know yeah. um whether uh they are showing up late or have to cancel or the kids come in like you said uh you know or whatever it may be um there's such a high level of grace right now just across the board and that is going to make me cry <laughs> it's it's just really amazing to see there there's you know a huge level of fear and anxiety and you see that really playing out in a lot of businesses But um, on the flip side, like you said, you see, um, you know, mothers stepping up to, um, you know, bring, you know, joy to other people's kids or, uh, you know, like we're seeing people finding ways to see the grandparents without touching them or, you know, welcome home the little girl who just finished chemo, you know, whatever it is, we're finding these ways to bring joy and community into our world because we realize we need it so much.
1: Need it, and I think the difference, the thing that's happening now, that is very different from other disasters. Usually, when something happens—a hurricane, a flood, a whatever—a couple of things are different. One, it usually happens in one place, mm-hmm. and two, a lot of people are really dramatically affected all at once. But then the people from the other places can come in and help them. Mm-hmm. What's happening here is it's happening to everyone. And right now, the majority of people are not dramatically affected,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they're thinking they might be, and so they're having time to really think. And some are dramatically affected right now in job job loss and things like that. But like in health, you look around and going, God, what if my family gets this? Mm-hmm. What if? It, and 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 to, for that to happen to everyone, you're right. People are extending grace, and I think I think what's I hope. Is happening is we've now all experienced a level of emotional vulnerability that I hope we can keep that open.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and see uh, how to continue to bring it in to our work lives uh, and not mm-hmm. just our personal relationships. Yeah, that's right.
1: And like well, you said, some of you did do that
0: intuitively, don't. and others don't. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> they need help. And I believe most people are very well attended. And the thing that I am having a lot of calls with leaders on if your team does not have clarity of purpose, a clarity of purpose that's bigger than money right now, you're going to have a really hard time getting your people to work from home.
0: Right.
1: The only teams that are going to be able to really figure out how to do this in a remote way are the teams that know. Our work has meaning, our work matters. I know I have my kids, I know I have this, I have this. I'm gonna figure out a way to do this because other people are counting on me.
0: Absolutely. So one of the questions that I had for you is, um, you mentioned earlier that there's uh, a, a leader that you were engaged with and you started the the engagement. You could tell he was already kind of there and, um, and aligned to your way of thinking. What are some traits that um, you see in leaders that are, that I don't want to, I want to say like get it or don't get it or need need a little sure. bit more help. What are some of those like initial traits that you see where you're like, aha, this person, they're uh, already, so you, they just need it defined. Yeah.
1: So I'll tell you, um, most people fall into one of three categories. So there are these people who are already noble purpose leaders. And um, a lot of times they're sort of cloaks though, and they're in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say this, especially if they tend to be in financial field, um, if they tend to be a little, you know, over 45, if they tend to be male, that they, they have been trained to speak of. A banker client of mine said numbers are our lingua franca. I think I got that phrase right, which is just mm-hmm. the way they've been taught to communicate. But when I asked this gentleman, What was your hope when you started this company? That's where it gets revealed. When you start asking people, what, what are the days that you go home smiling about? What happens? When you start asking people, tell me about a time when you've made a difference that tells you it's in there. It is absolutely in there. And when I start seeing things like that, then I get excited because then I know we got something we can work with right there. This is going to become the story of this bank. Exactly. So it, but it's not, always, it's not always there at the surface because for a lot of people, it's been trained out of them. So that's the best. So we have some leaders that come to me and say, I'm trying to get purpose all the way down my organization. Can you help? But it's already there. It's clear. It's present. And we are implementers where we get it at every phase of the organization, especially in the customer interaction. We have other leaders where it's a little more late. Then we have people who are sort of more in the middle of the bell curve. And those are the people that haven't thought about their work this way before. Mm -hmm. And when you open that portal to them, that your work can be about more than you just showing up and checking the boxes, that your work could have some meaning and emotional resonance they are not skilled at thinking that way but they can lean into it mm-hmm. and once you show them this is how you these are the words you use this is the framing you use on your task this is how you talk to your team sometimes they're hesitant because they think this is all sort of touchy-feely stuff but what we do and i've learned when we do projects is we set them up for a fast win mm-hmm. we work with them backstage and say here's how you're going to frame this up for your team. And they get a very quick win where people go, wow, we never thought about our work that way. Mm -hmm. Wow. It could be something. And so you create this, this sense of energy. And then I will tell you there is a very small percentage of people and it is small. It's smaller than people think. They're just not going to go down this path and it is smaller than people think because a lot of times I'll have people tell me, you know, I believe this way, but I don't think my boss does. Right. And and what I find is their boss hasn't given voice to it yet because they didn't have a language or a way to describe it. Or what I find with people, I end up dealing with a, a fair number of CFOs when we deal with the senior leadership team, mm-hmm. and the CFO is usually the one that goes, I don't know, but when we show them the data, Here's what happens to a company. Revenues go up. Here's what happens to employee engagement and what it saves you on recruiting. Here's what happens when you become an employer of choice. Here's what happens when you become a brand of choice. Here's, mm-hmm. we show them those things and they go, okay, I'll do it.
0: <laughs> I'd be insane not to. My buy-in.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, and I've candidly, I'm better at that than I was initially because I've realized how important it is And quite candidly, I also have a lot more results now. The first lines that we had were like, okay, this sounds good, we'll do it. And God bless their hearts.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thank you for giving me that base. Um, So what do you do to keep yourself inspired? Other than just work for these amazing companies that you help transform.
1: You know, I've had this this kind of interesting experience because that's a very valid question because, of, you know, I go on the road, I get burnt out just like anybody else, you know, and I've had this amazing thing happen to me in the last two weeks where I'm getting these emails from leaders, mm-hmm. and it just does make me want to cry when they're saying, oh my gosh, we have our purpose and our behaviors, we know exactly what to do the team and I and I'm having this sort of moment where I'm like oh my god like that's a big deal do you know I mean I intellectually but so I find that um really inspiring the other thing for me is I try and do I've been trying to lately do a better job of asking people when I after you know, when we're in a project or afterwards how has this changed you what are you thinking and talking about now versus what were you thinking and talking about a year ago? What do you notice in your staff? Because a lot of times it's so gradual that they don't notice it and I don't take that minute to go, holy crap, mm-hmm. this is a different place. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I've started asking more. And mm-hmm. I do that for them and for me.
0: Yeah, exactly. Again, a hammers at home for both of you. So w- You mentioned you have a new book coming out. Tell us about that. I do,
1: thank you for asking. Um, We actually, I was thinking about writing a new book and was talking to the publisher. And then I said, you know what I really wanna do? I wanna do an updated version to selling with noble purpose. And then they said, well, why don't you just do that? So we have taken the guts of selling with noble purpose, totally updated it with new cases, new data, Uh, We have more of a roadmap in it this time. We've got a a thing of uh, language that you can use with your team. So we took everything we've learned in the last seven years, and I could not be more excited about it. There's a lot lot more research. I know people are thinking, ooh, more research. But we move it into stories, Uh and we have a lot of stories, and we have a lot of results. So it's coming out in September. So we took the basic core principles. But one of the things that we really focused on that we added was this whole last section, which is how to build your tribe of true believers.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Which is for the sales manager, how they can, any sales team can use it. And so we wanted it to be so that, so that it became a playbook for people. So I'm really excited about it. And I have a co-author this time who is um, Elizabeth LaTarda who works with me and she's an industrial psychologist and she's um, a lot younger than me. So we got, we wanted another voice in there.
0: That's fantastic. Do you have anything else that what's, what's coming up in your future as far as we can predict?
1: <laughs> I don't know, I, di- I did decide that one of the things that we were gonna do was um, we're going back to all the clients that have anybody that's worked with us in the last five years and we are giving them virtual programs. And so I did a program the other day with this client, which was how their leaders could reset and talk to their team during a time of uncertainty. I'm doing a program this afternoon on how to talk to your customers when you don't have complete information. And so we decided that our, you know, again, it's about, you know, the skill set you have. And so we decided that we would use the skill set that we have and just offer for all of our clients. To do these, you know, video keynotes, video webinars for all their people that are at home, just to try and help them reset emotionally. So for the ne- for the next month, I'm sitting in my home office helping people.
0: Nice. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. That's the service that you can provide.
1: Right. Right. And that's I I certainly you know don't have any healthcare skills, um, so when I think about if I can help people show up with more clarity and be better leaders and be more grounded when they're dealing with their kids, then mm-hmm. that, that will be my service.
0: Absolutely, that's beautiful. Well, Lisa, I, I wanna talk to you every single week. <laughs> I love I love the way you think about life and business and what you bring to the world. And I, um, I went through a similar process of, you know, maybe I should do this and maybe I should do this and what can I do to help the world and came down, yeah. to, well, I have this, this level of expertise and maybe I can just bring that into business. And, um, yeah. and I think when you when you know what you're passionate about, you know what your skills are, and you're able to share that in a really positive way, it's beautiful and you really can make a big difference. And, and that trickle down effect and trickle up is really super powerful. Right.
1: I hope so. I think so. Evidence would indicate. So one of the other things you said you wanted to talk to me every week. I should have mentioned this. I am doing a LinkedIn live every Friday.
0: Oh, nice. Very cool. Yes. Find you on LinkedIn and is there a particular time? I do it at
1: 30 every Friday. It's about 30 or 40 minutes. And it's usually based on what I've heard from my clients all week and what I think people need the most help with. So I usually tell a story or two, give people a couple of walk away tips. And if you follow me on LinkedIn, uh, it'll give you an alert. And if you follow me on LinkedIn, you can also go back and look at the past ones. But, you know, I just started doing this and the first one I did was good. The second one was better, it usually is with these things. And I got a note from somebody afterwards, I'm glad I didn't know this in the beginning, where he said, oh yeah, we had 25 of us. We just, we always had this Friday afternoon meeting. So I'll pop that up. I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh-huh. I'm so glad I didn't know that fans. I'm standing here in my office with my flip chart just talking to my computer.
0: <laughs> well, you know, that's another thing that I think that, um, you know, with the advent of social media, everybody's getting a little bit more comfortable or has gotten more comfortable with, um, you know, less formality and, you know, perfect lighting and, you know, stuff like that. But especially now, you know, everyone's like, well, internet's spotty, I, technology is spotty. we just like, you know, whatever works, we wanna we wanna just hear you, see you, yeah. and us that we can
1: Telling her show from her closet, I think. Yeah. And you know who I was thinking about? That guy, I had a picture of him, I don't have it anymore. Guy on the BBC that had the baby come in the background. Yeah. And then well, we all owe him such a
0: debt of gratitude because that's all of us. Well, yeah. Exactly. I know teachers are talking about how parents are walking past in their robes and their underwear behind the kids that are you know on Zoom calls. They just pouring their coffee. Here we go.
1: Let's get to it.
0: Come into my kitchen. Exactly. Awesome. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. I, I knew the first time I picked up your book that you were something special to me. And, um, you know, I reached out to you a year or so ago to have a conversation and you were quick to just say, yeah, sure. I I think I have 30 minutes. Give me a call. And now you've given me this hour and I, I really appreciate it. I look up to you in, in all the ways because of the way you run your business, the way you think about it and how you share it with the world. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. It was really a pleasure.
0: Good, well, I hope I'll be tuning into those Fridays uh, and I hope we'll have lots of opportunities to talk in the future.
1: Likewise.
0: So stay healthy, keep your your happy family healthy. (laughs) You too. (laughs) Okay, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Hey, so what did you think of MVP Business? If you liked it, please subscribe and tell all your friends. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you didn't like it, don't just leave. Let me know what I can do to improve who you'd like to hear from and what you'd like to learn. The mission of MVP Business is to share the strengths and struggles of leaders who have successfully grown their businesses while staying true to their mission and vision so that other entrepreneurs can follow knowing that the path isn't easy but the journey is worth it. If you believe in this mission, please help by living it and sharing it. In the meantime, enjoy the day and live with passion.